Good morning, and if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Psalm 129. This is another one of the Psalms of Ascents, and we're going to read from verse 1. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth, let Israel say. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me. Plowmen have ploughed my back and made their furrows long, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Sion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say to them, The blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you again for the words of this psalm. And as we read it together and as we look at it together, we are conscious that it was first written many hundreds of years ago, but it's been preserved, preserved by you, so that we can read it today and help us to apply these things that we can learn to our lives in our time. And Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this Psalm 129, I've titled it Down But Not Out. This last year has been a time of confinements and restrictions that have brought with it many problems and disappointments that have been not just felt by us. COVID-19 has not only affected us as individuals, it has and still is having a worldwide effect. The writer of Psalm 129 starts by personifying the song. He says, they have greatly oppressed me. But as we travel through this song, we will see that his concern it is for his nation. But not just his nation. It is the people who are his nation who need to hear his words. And these words he's speaking are the words of God. But for this psalmist, his nation is Israel. So verse 1, They have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say, The phrase, from my youth, sadly reminds us that many children throughout the world are suffering. And much of the suffering is caused by neglect and abuse, and these children will carry the scars with them throughout their lives. And we must remember to bring them before the Lord in prayer and to help in whatever way we can. But here this morning, the psalmist here, as we have said, is not only referring to an individual, but he's also talking about his nation, his nation, Israel. Now, it could be that when this psalm was first written, that it was the psalmist remembering the sufferings that the young nation of Israel endured as slaves in Egypt. And maybe this was the thing that prompted him to write this song. Because the next verse is a shout of victory. And it's as if the psalmist is asking for a response from his listeners. He calls out, Let Israel say. It is Israel the nation that needs to hear his words. It is the nation 
and the individuals within the nation who need to respond. You know, this is like us today. We need to hear God's words and we need to respond to them. When he said, let Israel say, how did they respond? What did they say? Well, verse 2 says, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me. So they've repeated what the psalmist originally said, but they've attached to it, but they have not gained the victory over me. So this is a victory cry. Yes, they have suffered. And they've suffered together. And they've suffered at the hands of their enemies. Now, in Egypt, they were growing as a young nation. A young nation that was seen as being a threat to the nation of Egypt. So they were enslaved by Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who had tried to stop their growth by ordering all the male babies to be killed at birth. The nation suffered, but they were not defeated. You see, God preserved the life of Moses, who then led the nation to freedom in order to preserve the nation. God is blessing them. So we come to verse 3. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long. Well, the psalmist is a poet. And this is poetic writing. But it was more than likely that it could have been interpreted in, in a literal way, referring to the whip that was used by the slave masters who beat the workers. And this is a song that would be sung by generation after generation. And those who were singing it would not only relate it to this oppression in Egypt, but they could relate it to the, the things that they remembered, the oppressing times in their history, including their captivity in Babylon, and then their eventual, eventual, their eventual freedom from the Babylonians. Now, the people who sang it on their way to worship at the temple in Jerusalem would be reminded of their predecessors who rebuilt the temple. And they would have done that under opposition, opposition which was eventually removed, leaving them free to continue the rebuilding work. See, God is at work here in their nation, and they know it. As we move through the history of the Israelites, we see the people who were singing this song on the way to celebrate the Passover. And these are the people who would have witnessed Jesus. They would have witnessed Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey and they would be singing this song in anticipation of the Messiah who would come and free them from the Roman oppressors of their day. But let's just go back to the psalm again, Psalm 129, where we will hear about the one who was really responsible for their deliverance from each of the events that they are calling to mind. So verse 4 of Psalm 129. But the Lord is righteous. This is it, isn't it? Then he goes on, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the bonds of the wicked. This is the nation speaking. 
speaking as it were with one voice. It is the Lord, and the Lord is righteous. Faithfulness will be rewarded and justice will be done. The psalmist sees his nation bound by the cords of oppression, and he sees that they can do nothing to free themselves. But the Lord comes, and by his mighty hand, the cords are cut, and they are released into freedom. Now we come to the part of this psalm where the psalmist prays. In verse 5, May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. We know that Zion is the dwelling place of the Lord. It's the name for Jerusalem, the place where the temple was. To turn back is to turn back to the Lord. To turn in recognition of their own unworthiness and to accept his mercy and grace. So this is a call to repentance. And then verse 6 and 7. May they be like grass on the roof which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. You know, this is an illustration that we're familiar with today because it's becoming quite popular to have a grassed roof. If you watch any of these um, rebuild programs and do-it-yourself programs, you will see this. So this is an up-to-date phrase, really, referring to this grass. Grass on a roof, it withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. The truth is that without roots and without water and no depth of soil, there is no harvest. Verse 8. May those who pass by not say to them, The blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Those who pass by are those who are rejecting the Lord. And those who reject the Lord, the truth is, will be shut off. This is a very short psalm. But as we close this morning, I want us to think about the people who sang this song, this song of ascent, at the time when Jesus was in Jerusalem, at the same time as they were. While they were remembering how the Lord had delivered their nation from their enemies in the past, and now they are looking for a Messiah who would deliver them from the enemy of their day. That would have been the Roman oppressors. But what they didn't realize is that the one who could deliver them from a far more deadly enemy was with them. Jesus was in their midst. You know, Jesus is in our midst today. He's right here with us. This is the living word of God. And these people knew the scriptures. Maybe you know the scriptures. Maybe you know them better than most people. And they witness they actually saw the words of the prophet Zechariah being fulfilled that's Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 and Matthew quotes it in Matthew 21 verse 5 say to daughter Zion see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and a colt 
the fall of a donkey. You see, this king had come. He'd come to save them. That's what they shouted, Hosanna. He'd come to save them now. That's what Hosanna means. Save us now. But you know, there were those who were, who were dying spiritually. They were like the grass on the rooftops. They had no roots, no depths of soil. And they were in need of water. And those people would have heard these words from Jesus. Matthew records them in chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, the people needed feeding. And they heard Jesus say that he was the water. He was the living water. He was the water of life, of eternal life. And then they heard this from John chapter 6, verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You know, we need to be fed and watered, as it were. We're fed by the bread of life, who is Jesus, and be given the water, the living water, that only he can give. You know, I want us to listen to the words of this psalm again and, and let it speak to our nation in our time, to our world, and to each of us as individuals as we ask the question, from what do I need deliverance? And there's one question. What do I need to be delivered from? And who is it that will cut the cords that bind me and set me free? The deliverance we need is to be set free from the power of sin. You know, death is the result of sin. We cannot free ourselves like the Israelites. They couldn't free themselves. Left alone, to themselves, they were helpless. And for the problem of sin, for us to try to solve it, to be left alone to it, we are helpless. The psalmist said that the power of sin has greatly oppressed me from my youth. Well, he didn't use the word sin. I've put that in, but that's really what he's saying. The enemy, the power of the enemy, the power of sin has greatly oppressed me from my youth. And then he went on, didn't he? A call for response, he says... Let us say, well, this is what we need to say this morning. Let us say, sin has greatly oppressed me from my youth. But from it, we have not, it has not gained a victory over us. Let us say, sin has greatly oppressed me from my youth, but it has not gained the victory over us me who has gained the victory for us well let's find out we can go to isaiah isaiah 53 verse 10 through to 11 yet it was the lord's will to crush him the him is jesus yet it was the lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer and though the lord makes his life an offering for sin 
He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear the iniquities. You see, Jesus has won the victory. Jesus took our punishment upon himself, allowing us to be set free. The plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long. Okay, we're thinking about Jesus here, the one who took our punishment. John 19, verse 1 to 2. And Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. You know, it was his back that was ploughed in place of ours because he bore the weight of our sin. Back to the psalm. But the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. The wicked, the cords that Satan binds around us, as we sin. John eight thirty four to 46 Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now there it is. We can be set free from the power of sin. But we need to put our trust and our faith in what Jesus has done. What about the end of the psalm? May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say to them, The blessing of the Lord be on you. The the blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. These are words that will not be spoken to those who reject. So it's either repentance or rejection. There's no middle line. But let's finish this morning. Let's finish with John chapter 3 verse 18. And maybe if you consider what we've said this morning, if you go back and read that psalm which was written so long ago, which was relevant to the people of the days in which it was written, was relevant to those who were enslaved in Egypt, relevant to those who were captured and made prisoners in Babylon. It is relevant to us who were captured by sin and made prisoners by Satan. John three eighteen, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Shall we pray? Father, we just ask your blessing upon us now that if we know you as Saviour, let us rejoice in these words. But our Father, if we've not taken that step of faith, just speak to our hearts and lead us to you that we might be those who can be those who believe and are not condemned. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.